Eleanor Colson came up to me today and said, be sure and thank the Kingsway people for me. Um, been going through a hard time. I know many have been praying for me. And uh, just to continue to remember. So I, I'm grateful for you guys because uh, I know there are many of you who are prayer warriors. And that makes all the difference for sure. We are in the book of John. I told you we were going to start our way through here. We're in John chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at the first five verses. So if you'll stand in our great God's honor, I'm going to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, unless you speak, there's nothing. Nothing that can be understood by us. And so we invite you to fill this place. We invite you to speak through your word that we might hear from you. Because we are desperate, Lord. And so speak. We invite you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Words have power because words give us the ability to talk and listen to one another, to communicate. Um, if you listen to some of the self-help gurus, they might say something like this, that the six most important words in the world are, I admit I made a mistake. The five most important words are, you did a good job. The four most important words what is your opinion? The three most important words, if you please. The two most important words, thank you. And the most important word, you. Guys, you are important. And I'm important. But we are not the center of the universe or of creation. And this morning, we are going to look at the one who is literally named the Word, <laughs> and what that means. Our passage begins, it, it, this is a biography of Jesus Christ, written by John, the Apostle. He starts out and he says, In the beginning was the Word. Then we come down a couple of verses, and a personal pronoun is used. He was with God in the beginning. Then we come down to verse 14. And we are told that the Word became flesh and dwelt or lived among us, full of grace and truth. And then we come down to verse 17, and it tells us that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So we come all the way down to verse 17, and we actually have a name to attach to the Word. We live in a day, it seems like to me, where many words are being changed, being redefined uh, with different definitions, at least that I am familiar with and have been familiar with most of my life. But we are in a lot of trouble if this word is redefined. Why is he 
so important? Well, well, there's several verses. Actually, before I get to that, when I first went to college, man, I had to buy a dictionary. Back in those days, the internet wasn't like it is now. Now it's almost hard to find some books that are, you know, not online and that you can actually hold and use. And I had to buy a Webster's Dictionary. It's a big volume. And if you go back to the original volume in 1828, written by Noah Webster, what a lot of people don't know is that guy was a lover of Jesus Christ and a faithful follower. Now, you know, they edit these uh, dictionaries, and I'm sure the definition of word is not exactly like it was in the 1828 original version written by an unapologetic follower of Jesus Christ. But I want to read to you, this is actually from that original dictionary, the definition of word, it's an articulate or vocal sound or combination of articulate and vocal sounds uttered by the human voice and by custom, expressing an idea or ideas, a single component of human speech or language. Well, he, he goes down a, several definitions until this definition. The definition of word, Christ, John, chapter 1. That's the word. Now, we're going to look at, to begin with, why Jesus is so important, why he is defined as the word. In Acts 4.12, it tells us, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given under man by which we must be saved. No other name but his name. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and that every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. We open up in these first couple of verses and we see that who he is in relation to God, to God himself. And these three words... Take us all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible where it tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. Now, man, this stuff is too difficult for my little brain and I really think that it is impossible for us to really come to grips with the idea that there is someone who did not have a beginning and yet, this is clearly what the Bible tells us, that in the beginning, he was already there. He already existed. John Calvin used to describe the Bible as God's baby talk. So a lot of the things that are so difficult for us to understand in the Bible are still on that very low rudimentary level <laughs> that even that we struggle with. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a couple of minutes because I'm not going to pretend to tell you that I can understand and completely grasp and fathom the idea that, you know, before everything was, he was. What? But let me try to grasp what the original audience would be thinking. There were Jews and there were Greeks that were listening as Jesus taught in that world in which he appeared during that time. And the Jews, when they heard Jesus described as the Word, 
what they understood that to mean was that everything God did was by his word. Matter of fact, when you look in Genesis chapter 1, nine times it says, and God said, and guys, then it was. He did not have to hire a team to build the universe. He did not grunt and worry and struggle. This blows my mind. He simply spoke, and it was. That is how all-powerful that he is. And the scripture talks about when God would speak to the prophets, it says, and the word of the Lord came to this prophet. You see, the very word was significant because it spoke of God in his action, what he does. And it was often substituted by the Jews when they would write. And when the word God came up, they did not want to speak foolishly about God and thus break the third of the Ten Commandments. They wanted to reverence the Lord God. And so they would use this word in place of the name for God, which essentially meant to them, this is God in action. This is God in movement. And it was a word from the Aramaic. The Old Testament was Hebrew and Aramaic, and the Jews understood Hebrew and Aramaic in that day. And, of course, the society of the Greek that the New Testament is written in. And Aramaic was a language, if you guys saw the Passion of the Christ years ago, and you had the subtitles that we'd read, but it was actually spoken in Aramaic, a language now that is not used but a language in that day that they clearly understood. And the Greeks, when they heard, He is the Word, they thought of the fact of how ordered and specific everything is. That the planets are revolving. And of course, in that day, it was often believed that everything was revolving around the earth instead of the sun. But the picture of the revolving of the planets and and a picture and an understanding of the different seasons. And there was, there was just a specific order that happened. And if you watched it, you saw it. So that there was a master designer. And that there was someone who was holding the universe in his hands. And keeping things together. And so this was the picture of the word. It's the picture of God in action. It's a picture of everything being held together by God himself as he is at work. And then next, as we go on in the text, he tells us, and the word was with God. So here again, I'm getting way beyond my intellect. But when it says the word was with God, there is a picture here that God is there, and the one who is the word is there as well. So this is a reference to the fact that the Son of God is God. He is deity. And he had a continuous relationship with the Heavenly Father and with the Holy Spirit through all of time until it came to this specific assignment, which he left that continual relationship and put on flesh. And he became one of us. He cooperated with God's plan, as it says in Ephesians 2, that though he did not consider equality Something with God to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. 
listen to this is part of Jesus' prayer in John 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. This was Jesus' last recorded prayer. The cross was soon. And as he prayed to the Father, he, he said these words, that time, that glory that we had before creation itself began. We were. So Jesus is simply verifying this wonderful truth. And then he says, the word was God. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they take um, and change this scripture to say and he was a God because the definite article which says he was the God is not there. He's just God. And so they say, well, since the article that says the God that magnifies specifically God himself is not there, then he is merely one of many gods. But he is not the God. But the reason I believe he wrote this, if you just simply look at the text, God, is it would negate what he just said. That the word was with God. That there was a relationship that they... Here again, this is above my intellect. He is God, and yet he is God the Son, and there is God the Father, and God the Spirit, and there is this perfect relationship that was shared. And then verse 2, he says, He was in the beginning with God. That, 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 that is who he is. He is, the, he is the Holy One. Now, second, I want us to look at who he is in relation to the universe. Look at verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So in other words, if it's here, he did it. He made all things. And he says it in the positive. First, he says all things were made through him. This, Unlike the other, this isn't quite so difficult. The beauty of creation, the magnificence of the universe, it was made by Him. Without Him, it would not be here. This was not some big bang that came from nothing. You know, it's not nothing creating something. There was something there that brought forth everything. Jesus Christ. In our K group that met this week, um, I had read about the magnificence of the universe and creation that was in this book that we had been studying. And I want to read just a, a, a little bit of what I read to them. Once again, put on your thinking cap, and if you're like me, you won't get it anyway, but try. Let's try. Okay, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Not mile. You know, we think, man, we think we're, we're something else if we can drive 100 miles an hour. This is 186,000 miles per second. Now, at that speed, how long do you think it would take to get to the other side of our galaxy? Listen to this stuff. 100,000 years. What? Okay. Researchers at the University of Hawaii estimate that the number of stars in the universe is equivalent to all the sand, grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth. Times 100,000. 
So all the grain of the sands of a hundred thousand earths. That's how many stars there are. The average distance between the stars is 30 trillion miles. I mean, this stuff doesn't even mean a whole lot to me. It's so beyond my poor little pitiful ability to grasp. The average space shuttle orbits at 18,000 miles per second, which means you travel five miles in a second. At that speed, it would take 200,000 years to travel between two stars in our galaxy. At light speed, it would take four years to travel between two stars. And there's billions of stars at our best guesstimation. Jesus created all this. He is the one who brought everything into being, and He just spoke it into being. That's what God did. He is so awesome in power. Now, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, the letter to Colossae. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to look at verses 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. Now, you know, I'm old enough to remember in the old days where they actually had these things called cameras where you had to turn the film in and to get it developed. And they would use certain chemicals in order to take that film and to develop the actual image of the snapshot that was taken. Of course, now many of us, when we take pictures, we use our phones, and digital photography, and it has a sensor, and the light forms an image on the sensor, and it is digitally converted so that we have this image that we can see. And what the Scripture is saying here, that to look upon Jesus... He is the image of God. You want to know what God looks like? Check out Jesus. Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. We go on in verse 16, the next verse, and it tells us, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. God invisible, now he's visible. When you look at Jesus, his image is clear. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. We were made for Him. Not only by Him, He is the origin of all things, but we were created for Him. Think about that. He deserves the glory. He deserves the attention in Revelation 4.11, it says, For your pleasure they were created. That is the goal, to love Him and to serve Him. And, and the question for all of us is, are we doing that, you know? Um, do we really notice Him? Do we really wake up each morning and just say, God, I, I just want to say I acknowledge you are here. And I need you in my life. I need you to help me to make the decisions that I'm going to need to make today. 
I need you to guide my steps so that I'll go where I need to go and I won't go <laughs> where I might want it, want to go, but it's the wrong place. Lord, protect me. Um, Father, do that kind of work in my life. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so the question ultimately is, is my life giving him pleasure? John Piper says this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. All right, one more, third. Jesus is the word in relation to human beings, to mankind. Look in verses 4 and 5, back in John chapter 1. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In him was life. This is a definite reference to the incarnation, to that awesome truth that God actually became a human being and Yet he gave up his right to be in full control, although he was still God. That kind of humility, that kind of sacrifice is impossible for us self-centered critters to grasp. <laughs> because that is certainly not our natural way we act. But this is God. This is what he did for us, that the creator of everything, and in him was life. And we looked last week and we talked about the fact that in the Greek, when the word life was used, you had different words. You had bios, which we get biography, biology from, and it's more just the appearance of, of who we are, these bodies, uh, this physical part of us. And then there is sune, which speaks of how we think. It speaks of our sense of identity and then the other one is zoe which is eternal life it, it is a quality of life that lasts and this is the type of life that jesus is in him was life eternal life is in christ that is what the scripture is saying and the bible tells us that without him there is not the spiritual life You know, no matter how much you may want to talk to a lifeless body, you're not going to get a response. If you do, I run. <laughs> I actually had a friend in, in seminary, and he, he actually left the dorm for a short amount of time, and he stayed in this uh, funeral home. They needed someone. They said, man, you can sleep here for free. We just need someone here, you know, uh, kind of make sure everything goes okay. Well, he, he stayed for a little while, and it was so funny. Uh, he came back, and I'm like, man, what happened? He said, man, man, tell me that sometimes those bodies just kind of sit up. He said, I, ca I came back here. This is a much better situation for me. <laughs> but it tells us, in your sins and your transgressions, you are dead. But that Jesus, it tells us in Ephesians 2, that in Jesus Christ, there is life. Jesus came in the world to provide that life for us. Just several verses through the book of John. 
Uh, in verse 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. Um, it tells us you are not, Jesus says, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You know, how, how tragic. Uh, of course, boy, many of us know John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He tells us that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. In John 6, 35, he proclaims, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And, and here in our main text here in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it so jesus is also described as that light you see darkness is simply the absence of light we can't see without light and if you're in total darkness you just kind of feel your way around and bumble your way around because your eye needs the light in order to see where to go jesus is that light we cannot see god we cannot respond to god we cannot find the life which we were made for without the light of Jesus Christ to provide that for us. And yet here's the opposite thing. You go over a couple of chapters. John chapter 3 verses 19 and 20. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So, this is the way it is. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the life. Man, is your life a wreck? You're not looking at the light. In some capacity, you're in the dark. He gives us light. He, give, he gives us little glimmers that lead us toward Him. We can either head toward that light or we can remain in darkness. And so many choose to remain in darkness because they don't want to be found out. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want others to know what they really like or who they really are. Man, guys, we just need to get over it because we're all broken. We're all sinners. And we all need a Savior. We all need to be forgiven. And we need to be in a community that will love us. Not just Jesus loving us, of course he does, but the people of Jesus still love us as well. And that means coming clean. It doesn't mean we sit and constantly talk about that stuff with one another. But it does mean that we have a, a confidence in knowing that we're going to be loved. That if, if we choose to share something with the body of Christ, they're not going to roll their eyes and say, but instead they're going to say, man, I need to be forgiven too. And, and come together. To celebrate Christ. To celebrate. Notice as, as this text ends. I'm right at the end here. In this text it says. But the darkness has not understood it. In some translations it says. The darkness has not overcome it. Or the darkness has not comprehended it. But there was one translation. That I ran across. That used the word extinguish. I like that. I like that. So, in other words, the text would read, but the darkness has not been able to extinguish it. 
No one can stop Christ. Christ is a safe place to be. If we believe in Christ, we have everlasting life. I love that John 10, 28 and 29 in the old King James where he says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of his hand. When we are in the grace of Jesus Christ, it holds us. We have, to, we, we have to be in Him. That is where there is life. It is only toward the light of Christ. Many people go to different places and they listen to different voices. But there is only one and He created everything and He sustains everything and He left the comforts of heaven. He didn't have to do that because He loves you. And the way that He proved that love was what we describe as the cross. The cross. And that is the Christian life. That is the first step. Maybe someone here today needs to take that first step, which means taking hold of the work of Jesus Christ, one at Calvary, and when he said it is finished, victory followed. And that victory is ours if we place our faith in Christ, and it can be yours if you haven't yet. Just do it now. Just trust him now. That is what the beautiful gospel proclaims to us. But that is just the first step. We continue to walk until we're in heaven. We continue each day walking with Jesus Christ. We continue each day asking the Spirit of God to guide us and to lead us and to show us that we may be like Him because this world needs Him. And so the light, you know, it says, let your light shine. That is Christ in us, shining. That is, that is the call that He gives to us who are already in Christ to let that light shine. Listen to this. I love this quote in Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Uh, man, I, I love those. They're children's books. They're great books. If you had not read them, I encourage you to do so. But In one of the books, um, here's a quote here. They have this line named Aslan, who, of course, is representative of Christ. And there are four children who are the main characters in the book. Uh, and one of them, Lucy has a meeting with Aslan the great lion. And Aslan speaks and says, Welcome, child. Lucy responds, Aslan, you're bigger. Aslan replies, That's because you're older, little one. Lucy questions, You mean it's not because you are? And Aslan says, I am not. But every year that you grow, you will find me bigger I think that's what it means to live a life that brings glory to God that as you trust God as you walk with God as you see the faithfulness of God and, and you that light becomes clear that it's always been the light of Jesus Christ you know what he gets bigger he gets bigger <laughs> because you realize he's carried you you realize he's led you. You realize he's been with you. He's the word. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your marvelous truth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was with God in the beginning. Father, we need you, the word, Jesus Christ, in our lives. I pray if there is anyone here who has never taken that first step, to um, 
place confidence in the one who created everything and keeps keeps everything uh, together. Lord, what a great time it would be to make that first step to trust Jesus. There's where the light is. That's where life is. Abundant life. And I pray that, Lord, um, that word has gone out. It's been heard and obeyed. Because, boy, there's nothing like you, Jesus. May they know you. Father, for those of us who have already taken that step, Lord, do a work in us. Do a work in me where you're getting bigger. I don't want to have a faith where you stay the same size or you get smaller. And I believe that uh, my Christian brothers and sisters feel the same. So, Lord, do a work among us where you get bigger. And Father, we just trust you. We are so grateful for the word of God, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.